Well, good morning, everybody. Let's try that again. Good morning. Man, it's great to be with you today. My name is Stephen, and I get to serve here as one of the pastors, specifically the campus pastor at our Apollo Beach campus. And I want to welcome you today. We do have a lot to thank God about. Can I get an amen from somebody in the house on that? Uh, student and kids camp was a phenomenal, phenomenal time. We are grateful for all that the Lord did last week and what he's going to continue to do uh, in our student and kids ministry. Uh, we are grateful for today on this 4th of July weekend that we live in a country with unprecedented uh, freedoms, religious freedoms that we're able to do this right here. So we are grateful uh, for that. Uh, and then finally, we are grateful that you get to hear me preach this this morning. Holler. You're like, who is this bald-headed guy? I came to hear Dr. Abney. Well, in the month of July, uh, our lead pastor, he takes some time away, sabbatical, to pray and to rest and recharge uh, and plan for the year. And so today we are starting a, a brand new teaching series that's going to carry us uh, through the month of July while he is away called Interruptions. And you just saw the, uh, uh, the bumper video right there. And in this series, what we're going to do is we're going to look at stories from the life of Jesus where he interrupts people or when he is interrupted by people in need. And what this is going to reveal as we unpack these stories, this is going to reveal the character of God and God's heart for us. Because you remember, Scripture tells us that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. And so we're going to see his heart and how he responds to people in need, those who he interrupts and those who interrupt him. And today we're going to kick off this series by looking at a very familiar story in Scripture. If you've been around the church for a minute, you're going to know this story. If not, that's okay. You're going to become very familiar with it. So if you've got a Bible, and I hope that you do, let's open it up and turn it on to Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19, where we're going to see a story about a man who climbed a tree for the Lord he was trying to see. And as the Savior passed him by, Jesus looked up in that tree and he said, all right, three people went to Sunday school back in the day, all right, come on now. And as the Savior passed that way, he looked up in that tree and said, Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, what are you doing in that tree, boy? Come on down. Why? Because I'm going to your house today. Yes, yes, yes. There's your interruption right there. Hey, Zacchaeus, guess what? I'm coming to your house. I don't care if the house is clean. I don't care if the dishes are done. I don't care if there's food in the pantry. I am coming to your house. Why? Because today is the day of your salvation. And here's what I'm praying as I've been preparing for this time for us this morning. I'm praying that for some of you, much like Zacchaeus in this story, Zacchaeus saw his need for a savior. I'm praying for some of you in this room today on this 4th of July weekend that through the power of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit would open up your eyes and that you would see today your need for a savior and that today would be the day of your salvation. 
And then for others of you in the room, if you're a believer and you're like, Stephen, I've already crossed that line. I'm in the family. I'm in the family of God. I'm good to go. I'm praying that today the eyes of your heart would be opened and your heart would be renewed and rekindled by the amazing grace of our great God. Why? Because he picked me up. He turned me around. He placed my feet on solid ground. And because he did that, I thank the master. I thank the savior. I thank, I thank God. And as a result of that amazing grace that he has shown me, my life should be different than the world. And so let's go. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read this entire story in its entirety so that we can kind of get the big picture and then we will walk back through it uh, verse by verse. So here we go. Luke chapter 19. You got your Bibles ready? If you're there, say word. The word of the Lord. Jesus, he entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. And Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector. Somebody say chief chief tax collector and he was rich and he was seeking to see who Jesus was but on account of the crowd he could not because he was small in stature and so what did Zacchaeus do he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him for Jesus was about to pass that way and when Jesus came to the place he looked up and he said to him Zacchaeus What you doing up in that tree, boy? Get down, hurry down and come on down for I must stay at your house today. And so what did Zacchaeus do? Verse six, he hurried and he came down, received him joyfully. And when they, those in the crowd, they saw this, they began to grumble and say, he is gone and to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood up. I think it's funny. They had to make sure that you knew he was standing. He was so short looking at me. Is he standing up or not? Oh, yeah, he's standing up. Okay, so Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today, 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 salvation has come to this house since he is also a son of Abraham. Verse 10, you ever wonder what Jesus' mission was, what his purpose statement was? You don't have to wonder anymore. Here it is in verse 10. For the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. Aren't you glad for that? Because at one time, we were the lost ones and he came to seek and save us. And so, Father, as we turn our attention to your word, we understand the grass withers and the flower, they fall, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And so, Holy Spirit, we ask you to come now and be our teacher, be our preacher. We need to hear from you this morning. And we give you all the praise and we give you all the glory. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said... Amen. Amen. Here we go. I'm going to give you my notes up front. Four things, four things, if you want to jot these down right out the gate, four things that we learn about Zacchaeus in this story. Here's what we're going to learn. We're going to learn about who Zacchaeus was. First off, we're going to see who he was professionally. And then after that, we're going to see who he was financially, professionally, financially, and then, and then we got to talk about it because it says it in the Bible and I'm just preaching the Bible. We got to talk about who he was physically, all right? 
talk about his physical stature, and then finally we'll wrap it up by talking about who he was spiritually. And so that's where I'm going today as we walk back through this text right here, professionally, financially, physically, and spiritually. So right out the gate, number one, professionally. Who was Zacchaeus professionally? Because we can't truly understand the magnitude of this story without having a clear picture of who he was professionally. So keep your Bibles open. Go back to verse 1. Let's walk back through this. Let's do some Bible study. Verse 1, it says, Jesus entered Jericho, was passing through, and then verse 2, bam, behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, and he was a chief tax collector. Not just any tax collector. He was the, help me out, he was the chief tax collector. Meaning that Zacchaeus right here had other tax collectors underneath him and he was at the top of the pyramid, which is a pretty good place to be. Now, in ancient Israel, you got to understand this, tax collectors in those days would have been at the top of the most hated and despised people in the region, if not the top. They, they were hated, they were despised, and they were despicable people in Israel. And you say, well, well, Stephen, why, why so hated? Why, why, why so despised in that time? Well, a couple of reasons. First off, obvious, it should be obvious, I don't like people from the government coming to my house and taking my money, and neither do you, right? Amen, amen. I mean, I, I don't like that. So, man, if you're here this morning and you work for the IRS, we love you. We just don't like you very much. And we're praying for your salvation, okay? <laughs> the Lord save them. So same as today, as, as back then, we, we, we don't like people from the government taking our money. But secondly, if you dig a little bit deeper into the culture, you can just see why these Jewish people despise them. You see, in ancient Israel, a tax collector was an agent of the Roman government because at that time, the Roman Empire included Israel. Therefore, taxes were collected in Israel to pay dun, 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 the Roman government. And so what Rome would do in order to be able to gather taxes from people around the empire is that they would literally offer franchises to individuals that if you had the means and you could pay for it, you could buy your way in to being a tax collector. You see, the Roman government thought that it would be a whole lot easier to have a local person who would know the people, know the town to collect the taxes rather than shipping in one of their own. So if you bought in, you, they, I mean, they would set you up with your tax booth. They would give you the, the, the official papers from the Roman government. They would give you a garrison of Roman soldiers. And then guess what you could do? You could go knock on doors, demand taxes, and the people had to pay it. And this position right here as a tax collector was a coveted position because, here's the deal, after you gathered the taxes that the Roman government wanted from the people, you could add whatever additional tax you wanted for yourself. You could literally line your own pockets at the expense of your own people. So get the picture right here. Here is Zacchaeus. 
a Jewish man collecting for the Roman government, blessing the Roman government who is literally oppressing the Jewish people and make no mistake about it, these Roman guys, these are bad dudes. And so Zacchaeus right here would have been seen as a traitor to the people. Zacchaeus would have been seen as a corrupt guy. You're a greedy guy. You're, you're, you're collecting more than, you, uh, than, than, than what we owe. You're, you're a traitor. You're working for the bad guys. And he would have been seen as an outcast. So yes, on one hand, a very lucrative job, but at the same time, it's also a very lonely job. He's the chief tax collector. That's who he is professionally. Financially, what do we learn about Zacchaeus in this story? Well, the Bible tells us that Zacchaeus is rich. Jericho was where his tax booth was, and Jericho was along a major trade route. And so along that route, as people traveled and bought and sold items, you paid taxes on those items, and guess where that money was going? That was going to Greedy Zac. He was profiting on all of those. Archaeologists tell us that because of its location and population, that Jericho was the richest city in Israel. So you, you think New York City of the day, this is where Zacchaeus owns his tax booth, the franchise, and where he has other tax collectors working for him. So, so get the picture here. This is no, yeah, you know, yeah, Zac, he's doing okay for himself. We're, we're, we're not talking about, yeah, he, he, he's comfortable. No, no, Zacchaeus was probably one, if not the richest guys in the area. As he's working in his corner office in the tallest skyscraper in downtown Manhattan, financially, he's rich. But as you will see and we will see with Zacchaeus, even though professionally he had it going on and financially he had it going on, something was missing in his heart. Because how many of you know that, that money is nice, but come on, it's a terrible God. It'll make promises to you that it cannot deliver on, it cannot fulfill. So here's Zacchaeus, all the stuff, but lacking the most important thing, a relationship with Jesus. And so we see who he is professionally. We see who he is financially. Now, let's talk for just a moment. Let's see who he is physically. Physically, verse three, pick up our story right here. Zacchaeus was seeking to see who Jesus was. Now, pause right here. Why in the world would this Roman government official want to see Jesus? And the truth of the matter is, we don't know. We don't, we don't know the answer to that question. I mean, was he, was he curious? Was he unhappy? Was he dissatisfied with his life? People probably looked at Zacchaeus and like, dude, you got it all together. Why, well, you know, are, are, are you okay? Is he at the end of his rope? Honestly, we don't know. We don't know why he's coming to, to Jesus. Maybe he's just curious. You know, in, in those days, this would have been before social media. It's not like you're going to follow Jesus on Twitter or Instagram like that. He's like, heading to Mar or Jericho right here. You, you don't see that. And so for this celebrity-like figure, Jesus, to walk through Jericho, walk through this town, this is a big deal. 
And, and so Zacchaeus is like, I want to go see this Jesus guy, but on account of the crowd, the verse tells us, he could not because he was small in stature. Now, how small is small here? I'm not going to dwell on, on, on this. I'm not going to try to infer things here in the scripture. I don't want to belittle the guy right here. Did I just say that, belittle? I don't want to put him down or anything like that just because he doesn't measure up. You like that? You like that? I'll be here all day, all right? But the truth of the matter is, he's, he's small. He's small in stature. And, 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 so, and so he had to be short for Luke, who's the doctor, Dr. Luke for that matter, meticulous in details for him to bring this up in the Bible. In fact, archaeologists, a little fun fact right here for you. Archaeologists have discovered the skeletal remains of, of, of people during this time in ancient Israel, and they've come to the conclusion that the average height, now get this, the average height for people in this time right here was, are you ready for it? The average height, five foot one to five foot five. That's the average height. So, 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 so just, just kind of like, kind of put that in your mind. Like, all right, Jesus, Jesus was probably five foot five. Now, now, now growing up, that's not the Jesus that I, that, I, that, I, that I had pictured in my head. You know, my Jesus was tall. He had long, blonde, flowing hair with no split ends. Uh, he was a white guy, and he spoke with a British accent, okay? <laughs> that was my Jesus. I don't know about you. But five foot five. And, and so if Zacchaeus was, was short, short enough for, for Luke to mention it right here, I mean, he's not going to be in the, like the five foot one or five foot two because that would have been average. So Zacchaeus, he had to be below. He had to be five foot or under. Uh, I mean, this guy is short. I want you thinking like Danny DeVito short right here, okay? Danny DeVito in a row climbing a, climbing a tree, all right? That's what I want you to think. That's who this guy is. For Luke to mention that he is short. But here's the deal. And you know this. You know this. Yeah, he may be small in stature, but the real stature of a person is not in how tall they stand, but how low they bow and surrender to Jesus. You see, Zacchaeus, spoiler alert, he's about to become the tallest man in the crowd as he's about to surrender it all to the Lord. But because of his physical stature, he was small. No one in the crowd is going to let Zacchaeus, of all people, I mean, typically if I'm taller, I'm not that tall, but like if somebody's shorter, I'm going to let them get in front of me, but not Zacchaeus. Why? Because nobody likes Zacchaeus. They're like, no, no, you're not, you're not getting in front of me. You go look somewhere else. And so verse 4, because he's small in stature, let's keep reading, he ran on ahead and he climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him for Jesus was about to pass that way. So Zacchaeus, get the picture right here, Zacchaeus runs and he climbs up this tree. Now, in our culture, maybe not that big of a deal, somebody running, somebody climbing a tree, but in that time, for a grown man, for a government official, for a wealthy government official to run... That would have been unheard of. You didn't, you didn't do that. That would have been offensive, frowned upon. I mean, you get your robe and your sandals, his legs, it just would not be proper. But Zacchaeus, he doesn't just run. 
He does that. But what is it? He climbs a tree. Grown men in that time did not climb a tree. Children climbed trees. Grown men didn't climb trees. And so picture this, a wealthy government official excitedly running through the town, climbing a tree like a little kid. Listen, there's something here all of us can learn from Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus is willing to do whatever it takes to see Jesus. Hey, hey, whatever it takes, he's willing to humble himself to get to Jesus. He's willing to lay aside his pride, his dignity, his ego. Three things that I would argue are, are the biggest things that keep us from coming to Jesus. Our pride, our dignity, our ego. He's setting all those things aside just to get a glimpse of Jesus. Reminds me of the story in Matthew 18 of the disciples. The disciples are arguing about something. As you read your New Testament, the Gospels, you come to realize quickly that these disciples are not the spiciest Doritos in the bag. They miss it a lot, which makes me feel good about myself. Thank you very much. And so these disciples are arguing about who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom of God. Who's the best? Who got the power? And Jesus finally in a moment says, dude, I've had enough of this, <laughs> enough. Jesus looks at him in Matthew chapter 18, verse 2. Look what he does. He calls a child. And he puts this child in the midst of them. And he says, truly, I say to you, unless you turn, watch this, don't miss this, and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Verse 4, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. How is Zacchaeus acting right now? He's acting like a child. He's running. He's climbing trees. He's hanging from the branches. He said, I I don't care what people think about me. I don't care their opinions about me. I'm humbling myself. I'm letting go of my pride and my ego and my dignity. I just want to see Jesus. And the promise of Scripture is this. When you seek him, you will find him. Oh, I'm about to get get excited. (laughs) Verse 5. And when Jesus came to the place... He looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, you better hurry and come down. Why? Because I got to stay at your house today. Now you just think about how this played out. It's not super descriptive right here, but let's just kind of think this through. Jesus is walking through the town. The crowds are around him. He's got his posse. He's got his entourage right there. And he's walking through and he stops and when he stops, I'm sure like the whole world just kind of basically stops. It's going to be one of those, what, what's he going to, I'm sure the disciples are like, what's he going to do now? Can we just go to Jerusalem? You know, and the disciples are, he stops right there and he looks up into the tree and he calls him, he calls Zacchaeus by his name, Zacchaeus. Why? Because Jesus is our good shepherd and he knows his sheep by name. And he says, Zacchaeus, you need to get down from that tree. And I'm sure there were some people in this crowd who were like, finally, finally somebody is going to give Zacchaeus what he deserves. Finally, somebody is going to lay the smack down on Zacchaeus for being a thief and a crook. 
and a politician. And I, I, finally, somebody is going to give Zacchaeus. Finally, somebody's not going to be intimidated by, by this tax collector right here. And, and so they're like, okay, you know, Zacchaeus, get down here. All right, here we go. Here we go. Jesus versus the hated, despised, corrupt chief tax collector, Zacchaeus. Here it is. Epic battle. Let's get it on. But then what does Jesus do? He flips the script like he does so many times right here. And he doesn't drop the hammer on Zacchaeus. He does, he does the unthinkable. Hey, I'm gonna go to your house and I might stay for a while and it's gonna be a good time. And at, first, and at first, I don't know, just kind of the way I read the Bible, I'm a little weird like that. At first, I'm reading this, and I'm like, well, that's kind of presumptuous of Jesus right there. Just invite yourself over to your house, right, don't you? Don't even ask. Just say, I'm coming. He's like, hey, strange little man who I've never met before, I'm coming to your house today. Get the Traeger ready. We're going to grill out. And I'm going to stay a couple of days. Oh, and by the way, I got 12 disciples and all these other people. They're coming too. Hope you got some food. <laughs> Jesus. In fact, this is the only time recorded in the Gospels that Jesus actually invites him to somebody's house and invites himself to somebody's house. And, 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 and in that culture right here, this is what you got to understand, that would have been common practice. It's not like us Americans, like, hey, I'm coming to your house. Well, let me check my schedule. How about two weeks from tomorrow? No. It's like, it's like I'm coming, and they would have loved it. They would have received that. That would have been Okay. Because look at Zacchaeus' response right here, verse 6. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. You got to think, Zacchaeus probably didn't have that many house guests. I mean, he's hated, he's despised, he's despicable, he's lower than scum. I mean, I mean, nobody wants to be with him. He's got somebody wanting to come to his house, but not everybody. Oh, you got to see this. Not everybody is happy about this response. Verse 7. And when the crowd, you see, the crowd thought that Jesus was going to drop the hammer on him. Not, not say, hey, let's go to your house and have supper. And so when they saw it, the crowd, what did they do? They grumbled, grumble, 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 grumble. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. You see, there's something scandalous about this because in those days to eat with someone, to go to their house and share a meal was a sign of intimate fellowship. And the people in the crowd right here who had hoped that Jesus was about to drop the hammer on him are in shock that this religious leader would eat with this sinner. And, and listen, they're not telling Jesus anything that he doesn't already know. He already knows all these things about Zacchaeus. Jesus knows all that he's done, the lives that he has ruined, the pain and the frustration that he has called. And yet Jesus still wants to meet with him and stay at his house. Praise God that Jesus doesn't just hang out with people that have it all together. Amen? Oh, amen? Sure. Zacchaeus wanted to see Jesus, but don't miss this. More importantly, Jesus wanted to see Zacchaeus. 
Do you see how beautiful this is? This is Jesus. This is the interruption right here, right here. God clothed in the flesh, divinity and perfection, deciding to hang with the lowest of low, the most despised of the town. Reminds me of another story about another dinner party with another tax collector. You know where I'm going with this? Matthew. Matthew was a tax collector. He had the tax booth in Capernaum. Very rich, very lucrative job right there. Jesus comes to Matthew and he says, come on, follow me. What does Matthew do? He leaves everything. And it's easy for us to kind of read past this and think, okay, well, he left everything. No, no, he he left everything. Riches, material things, all that. And he goes to follow Jesus. And as a result of this, they're having a nice little dinner party. And Jesus is reclining at the table with with his other tax collector friends and these other sinners and these Pharisee people. They come and they ask his, his disciples, he says, wait, why does your teacher, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus' response is so great. Like everything Jesus does is great. Jesus responds and he says, hey, listen, listen. The well don't need a doctor. The sick need a doctor. You go figure out what that means. Because I've come not to call the righteous but the sinners. It's why Jesus ends this story with what he says, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. We are all lost without Jesus. And the sad truth of it is that some of us are so lost and we have no idea that we are lost in the first place. You see, the people of the crowd thought that Jesus would have told Zacchaeus, now watch this progression right here, don't miss this, this is huge. See, the people in the crowd thought that Jesus would have told Zacchaeus, hey bro, you go go clean up your life and then one day I'll come to your house. Go, 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 go tidy that up over there. Make sure it's clean, and then I'll come over. But listen, that's not the gospel. The gospel is that salvation comes to our house before we change, and salvation and Jesus brings the change. Jesus doesn't wait for us to get better. Jesus is the one who makes us better. He's the one who brings us from death to life. He's the one who gives us the power to clean up our lives. We can't do it without him. You see, every other religion in the world would have told Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus, if you want to find God, clean up your life. Start being honest. Give away your money. Go and do those things, and then you'll find salvation. But Jesus reverses that order. Jesus invites himself to dinner at your house. He initiates it. You only have to receive it, and in response, then you will change. That is the gospel. And Zacchaeus understood it right there in the tree when Jesus called his name. It says that he joyfully came down. I love the famous preacher D.L. Moody. D.L. Moody put it like this. He said, Zacchaeus converted from the limb to the ground. And the time it took him to get out of that tree, Zacchaeus was a new man. He had a new heart. And I don't know how long it would have taken him to get down from that tree. I mean, could be three seconds, could be five seconds. If he was short, maybe it took him a little time to get down that tree. Or maybe he just fell out. It took one second. But whatever. 
From the limb to the ground, he was a new man. And I'm here to tell somebody on this 4th of July weekend, in a matter of seconds with Jesus, you can be totally and completely transformed by the grace of God. In a matter of seconds, I don't care how bad you are, how far your friends think you are from God, in a matter of seconds, you can be forgiven, transformed, spiritually healed, and made new in the presence of Jesus. From the distance, oh, come on, thanks for that golf clap back there. From the distance, from the distance, from the limb to the ground, you can be transformed by the power and the grace and the approval of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Zacchaeus met Jesus, and as a result of that, he was changed. And oh my goodness, did he ever change, which leads to number four, spiritually, spiritually. Before Jesus, who was Zacchaeus spiritually? Well, before Jesus, he was empty. You see, it is possible to live a full life and still be empty. It's possible to be surrounded by many people and still be lonely, It's possible to have material riches and yet be so poor. It's possible to have physical sight and be spiritually blind. And the only one who can fill us up and satisfy the deepest longings of our soul is Jesus. And that's what happens there in the tree. And look how Zacchaeus responds to the grace shown him by Jesus. Verse 8. Verse 8. So Zacchaeus, what did he do? He's like, oh my goodness, this is amazing. I'm a new man. I got a new heart. He stood and he said to the Lord, behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to restore it fourfold. Do you see what Zacchaeus did? Zacchaeus got right with God and now he wants to get right with other people. Because your, your, your relationship with your heavenly father will impact your relationship with other people. Now, again, don't get this twisted. Zacchaeus was not saved because he promised to do good works. On the contrary, his salvation and understanding of the grace and love of Jesus is what gave him the desire to do good works. We're not saved because of good works, but we're saved to do good works. And now remember Remember, I got I to go fast. I got to land this plane. Y'all get ready. It's going to be a bumpy landing, but we're going to land it, okay? Remember, Zacchaeus is a Jew, and he should be following the Mosaic law. And the law in Numbers chapter 5 tells you that if you have robbed anybody of anything, here's what you do. You give that, whatever you robbed, you give it back to them, and you add 20%. You add 20%. So, so that's what the law required you to do. So if I stole a cow from you, I'd give you the cow back plus a couple of prime ribs from Jesse's Steakhouse. That'd be your 20% right there. That's what the law would require. Zacchaeus, on the contrary, what does he say? He says, I'm not, I'm not just going to do that. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give half of all my goods to the poor. The Bible didn't tell him to do that. The law didn't tell him to do that. He said, hey, 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 half of what I got, I'm giving it away. Why? Because he had been impacted by the grace of God. He says, God's been so generous to me, I'm going to be generous to others. Listen to me, somebody. You cannot meet Jesus and stay the same. He's going to change you from the inside out. And he says, then, okay, I'm just going to give it away. Then I'm going to make restitution. 
here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to make it right with the people that I've wronged and stolen from. I'm going to give them back, not the 20% that the law requires, but I'm going to give them back fourfold. 400% I'm going to give back on top of what I've stolen. Who does that? Who acts like that? Why is he being so radical? It's because somebody, Jesus has radically changed his heart. You see, not only, not only has Zacchaeus' behavior changed, but his heart has changed. He has changed. That's what happens when you meet Jesus. Zach got right with God, and now he wants to get right with others. And here's the reality. Listen to me. Listen to me really good. When you are transformed by Jesus, there is evidence of that transformation. The fruit of your salvation is seen in the way you live like Jesus, you give like Jesus, you talk like Jesus, you treat others the way Jesus would have treated them. And then suddenly, after you have been saved, listen, you start doing some weird stuff. I'm not saying you're obnoxious. I'm not saying you're out there on the street corner going, we love Jesus, yes we do, we love Jesus, how about you? Don't be obnoxious. But you start doing some weird stuff. Like He said, give me some examples, Stephen. You start doing some weird stuff like you start forgiving people who don't deserve forgiveness. Ooh, I go from preaching to meddling up in here. You start loving others that other people don't really love. You start caring for the outcast. And, and, and suddenly you start using your resources to help people who are in need. Sometimes you don't even know who they are. All of a sudden, because of what Jesus has done, you start serving. And all of a sudden, your life is not your life. It belongs to God. And you start doing things that don't make sense. Why? Write this down. Because extravagant love demands an extravagant response. That's good preaching right there, y'all. An extravagant love demands an extravagant response. You see, Zacchaeus, he didn't do this to gain the approval of Jesus. He did it because Jesus approved of him, and this was his response. And as a result, look at what, what Jesus says to Zacchaeus. He said, today, verse 9, today, today, salvation, not, not because you're doing these things. No, this is evidence of the change that's going on in here today. Salvation has come to this house since he is also a son of Abraham. Why? Verse 10, for the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. Can we say that together? Verse 10, come on. For the son of man came to seek and save the lost. Don't ever miss that. Jesus didn't come for the found, he came for the lost. He didn't come for the righteous, he came for the sinners. He didn't come for the healthy, he came for the sick. And when we recognize that, that at one time, you and I, we were the lost, we were the outcast, we were estranged from God. We were the foreigner, we were on the outside looking in. When we understand that and when we realize that, our only reasonable response is to give him our whole lives. Why? Because Jesus loved us and accepted us even when we did not deserve it.
You see, here's the thing, Zacchaeus right here in this moment, he didn't even understand the half of it. So we have the privilege of reading this story from a different vantage point. You see, Zacchaeus, he had to climb up a tree to see Jesus. He climbed the tree seeking after Jesus. But what would Jesus do in a couple of chapters later? He wouldn't climb a tree, he would be nailed to a tree. And all of Zacchaeus' sins will be placed on him. And all of your sin and my sin will be placed on Jesus and he would die for us, not just for us, he would die instead of us. And so what's your response to that extravagant love and that extravagant grace? That's why we sing songs like this that we're about to sing, the cross has spoken. The cross, I am forgiven. The king of kings, what is it? He calls me his own. Beautiful savior, I'm yours forever. Jesus Christ, my, my, my living hope. Hallelujah, praise the one who set me free. Hallelujah, death has lost its grip on me. You have broken every chain. There is salvation in your name and your name alone. Jesus Christ, my living May we respond now in worship because of what he's done for us. Jesus Christ, our living hope.